Well, Luke chapter number eight is where we're going to be this morning. And last week we began a brand new series of messages, and uh, we've entitled this collection of talks, Truth Be Told, Truth Be Told. And we're learning about some valuable truths that Jesus told through parables. And uh, Jesus was communicating some very important and some very uh, powerful truths. And he communicated these truths through uh, a parable. A parable is a little story with a big idea. Uh, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And uh, last week we saw that Jesus told the parable about the two foundations. How many of you were here last week when we talked about uh, the two foundations? One man built his house on the rock. And uh, one built his house on the sand. And we learned the utmost importance of having a solid rock foundation last week. And this week we're going to look to probably Jesus' most familiar and uh, famous parable. And uh, that is the parable of the sower. And uh, from this parable we learn to examine the condition of our hearts. And uh, the title of this talk this morning is, How's Your Heart? How's Your Heart? And uh, let's look to Luke chapter number 8. If you have a Bible, we're going to start reading in verse number 4. The Bible says this. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable, by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground. Everybody say good ground. Some fell on good ground, and it sprang up and bare fruit, and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, unto you it is given to know. Everybody say no. To know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are, are they that hear and then cometh the devil and taketh away uh, the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and choked and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for bringing us together this morning in this opportunity to learn from your word. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes this morning to, to see and hear what you'd want us to see and hear. And God, I pray that we would uh, look to this parable and uncover uh, the truth that you have for us this morning. I pray that all of us can uh, put aside distractions. I pray that we would uh, focus our minds and our hearts on your word this morning so that we can uh, make decisions that are pleasing and glorifying to you. And God, I pray that what happens in this room this morning, uh, God, I pray that we can see dividends from it. Lord, I pray that we will make an investment this morning that, that will last uh, for an entire lifetime. God, I pray that we would respond to the word with joy and with sincerity and with honesty. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would have an open mind and an open heart to uh, be honest about the condition of our own hearts and our own souls, Lord. And we love you. 
In Jesus' name, and everybody said, whenever you're dealing with the heart, you're always dealing with a very serious subject matter. When Katie and I were in college, uh, Katie had a heart condition, and it was SVT, superventricular tachycardia, and I had to practice that a few times. But Katie had this heart condition where her heartbeat would be irregular, and it would actually beat uh, about twice as fast, or very fast, more normal than it should uh, be beating, and she had to uh, go into surgery and have heart surgery to uh, go in and freeze a portion off of her heart that was causing the fluttering. And I remember we were in college when she had to have the surgery, and I was nervous. It was a four-hour surgery and uh, we were in Washington State and I was pacing back and forth and I was nervous and I was kind of checking for updates and I wanted to make sure that everything was okay because whenever you're dealing with the heart, whether it's physically or spiritually, you're always dealing with a very important subject matter. And Jesus in Luke chapter number eight, he tells us a parable and the meaning behind the parable is to examine the condition of our hearts, to examine the condition of uh, our hearts, our inner person. Now, in our culture today, the heart is the seat of the emotions, right? We say things like, I love you with all of my, and when we're sad, we say things like, you broke my heart. Well, in the Old Testament, the seat of the emotions was not the heart. In fact, the seat of the emotions in the Old Testament were the bowels. And so you would say things like, I love you with all of my bowels. <laughs> and uh, when you were sad, you would say, you broke my bowels, and you would say, man, my bowels are just full. Okay, oh, that, that's enough. I'll stop right there. Uh, the list is endless, but you can imagine the love songs in the Old Testament, right? They would have been very, very interesting. Uh, the seat of the emotions was the, was the bowels. Now, in our day and in our culture, the heart simply is kind of emotion. It's, it's what we feel. It's our seat of emotions. But biblically, the definition of heart goes much deeper than that. And it's much more important than that. The heart biblically is the hub of human personality. The heart refers to the inner person. It refers to actually your thoughts and your mind. What's really going on inside your life? What's really going on inside your mind? What are you really thinking? How are you really feeling? Not just a surface level, but what's really going on. And so the heart is very serious subject matter. The Bible talks a lot about the heart, and I want to tell you this morning that yes, Jesus is interested in what's going on in your life, but he's most interested in what's going on in your heart. The Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verse number 7. It says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Everybody say the heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to uh, give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. And so God is interested. He's invested. He's concerned with what's going on in your heart. And the problem this morning is we have become experts. We have become excellent at managing the external while completely forsaking the internal. We become experts at making sure that we're portraying the right image and making sure that people uh, sense something about us and see something about us. We, we're experts at picking the right filter on Instagram that we look the best in, and we're best at uh, knowing how much weight we need to lose and the groups that we want to be with and managing an image while completely forsaking our hearts. Meanwhile, our hearts are hurting, our soul is depleted, and our inner man is longing for something more. And so a lot of times we're great at the outward, but our inward man is struggling. You probably saw on the news this week uh, the lead singer for Lincoln Park, uh, Chester uh, Benningworth, he tragically committed suicide. And we can learn many things from that, but one thing that we learn is the outward isn't everything. 
Because from an outward perspective, it could seem like things are fine, but inwardly we're hurting and we're broken. So I want to ask you this question this morning. How's your heart? How's your inner man? How are, you, how are you really doing? I'm not talking about the external. Because what's on the inside will eventually be revealed on the outside. Is not that what the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse number 45? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of an evil tre- treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man perish, yet the inward man, everybody say the inward man, the inward man is renewed day by day. And so we come to Luke chapter number 8, and Jesus is teaching to a crowd, he's teaching to a multitude here at the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd was coming together to hear Jesus teach and to hear him uh, speak, and it was a great uh, multitude, and uh, so much so that they kept on kind of pushing him closer and closer to the edge of the Sea of Galilee, so much so that he actually had to get into uh, a boat there, and his disciples kind of pushed him off a little bit, a few feet into the water, and uh, he was preaching to the crowds from a boat uh, across the water uh, uh, to the land there. That, that's how he was preaching, great crowds, great multitudes, and there he begins to speak this uh, famous parable about the sower. Now, we have to understand a few things about parables. Jesus used parables because it made truth vivid. It made it very clear. It made truth memorable. He would speak these parables in a way that, that you would think about them for a long time. And so Jesus was uh, communicating uh, through parable form, and he was teaching from the boat. But we have to understand that a parable is far more than just a simple analogy. Okay, an analogy is uh, something like Drew is as strong as a horse. Okay, that would be an analogy, or someone as fast as a rabbit. Okay, that's an analogy. It does not need an explanation in and of itself because we understand what the analogy means. But a parable is an extended analogy. It's an elongated story. It's an analogy that's turned into a story. And so when Jesus used these parables, it was an analogy that needed and demanded an explanation because of the story. People could kind of just take it to mean whatever they thought it would mean when really Jesus had a specific purpose for this parable. And Jesus was communicating truth, but he was doing something amazing. And this particular uh, parable marks, uh, marks uh, a changing point in the teaching ministry of Jesus. And I want to show you what I mean. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 13, verse number 34. This is speaking of the same parable uh, in, in Matthew's accounting. In fact, this parable was mentioned in all three synoptic gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Matthew's accounting, it says this, verse, uh, verse 34. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, And watch this, and without a parable spake he not unto them. So from this point forward, Jesus was only speaking to crowds in parable format. From this point forward in his teaching ministry, he was only talking in parables. Why? He was doing two things as a master communicator and as a genius communicator, he's doing two things. One, he's revealing truth to the disciples and those that had open hearts. At the same time, concealing truth to those that had rejected him already in their hearts. Okay, so, so you got to understand, why, why was Jesus speaking in parables? Well, he was doing it to make truth vivid and to reveal some truth to the disciples, while at the same time concealing truth to those that had rejected him. They did not have the privilege of understanding the meaning of the parables. It was a form of judgment upon, upon them prophesied about in the book of Isaiah. And so they, they, because of their rejected and hard hearts, they did not have the honor and the privilege of knowing what Jesus was really talking about. And our parable starts in verse number five. Notice it. It says this, and a sower went out to sow his seed. Now, uh, this parable is all 
about a sower and a farmer, and this would not have been something that would have been mysterious. This would not have been something that would have been uh, confusing to uh, his audience. This was an agricultural environment. They would have known all about farming. They would have known about sowing. In fact, uh, some people believe that while Jesus was teaching this, the crowd could have looked over and they could have seen people farming and sowing in that moment. And uh, the sower would take a, a leather bag of seed and he would take the seed and what was called, called the broadcasting method. And they would take a handful of seed and they would scatter it. They would broadcast it out over the fields. And inevitably, the seed would fall on different types of soil. And Jesus mentions four, okay? Is it okay if I give you a little bit of context, a little bit of background this morning? And so Jesus, he, he, he spreads, he, he's talking about this sower who spreads this seed and it falls on four different types of soil. The one soil is the road, the road soil, the wayside soil. This is the compact soil. Uh, in fields during this time in this culture, they would have walkways and roadways that went right through the middle of the field. And so inevitably some seed's gonna fall on that compact, that hard ground, that roadside, wayside soil, and it was not gonna uh, bring about any fruit. That was the first soil. And then he mentions a second uh, group of soil. He mentions the rocky soil. This was the thin uh, layer of dirt on top uh, with rocks beneath. Sometimes when we think of the rocky soil, we kind of just picture gravel. Well, that's not what you would see from an outward perspective. You would see a good layer of dirt with rocks beneath it. And then he mentions the thorny soil. This was good dirt mixed with thorns, mixed with some weeds. And then he mentions, of course, the fruitful soil. This was the, the good dirt that brought forth fruit. Now, as Jesus explained those four soils, nobody was mystified by that story. Nobody was thinking, wow, okay, what is Jesus talking about because in this culture and in this environment that made complete sense but there was a meaning behind the parable that they did not understand in fact notice what the disciples say in verse number nine and his disciples asked him saying what might this parable be they did they didn't understand it what, what are you talking about Jesus and he explains verse number 11 now the parable is this the seed is the word of God Okay, so there are three elements to this story, this parable, very simply. I'm laying a foundation that we're going to get into, uh, get into some application here in just a moment. But there are three elements to the story. There, there is the sower. Everybody say the sower. The sower represents Jesus, okay? Or uh, by extension, anyone that sows the gospel message. This morning, I'm going to do my best to sow some seed. I'm going to sow. This week, if you're going to go to work and you're going to share the gospel, you are going to be a sower. You're going to be sowing the seed. The seed represents the word of God, okay? So you have the sower, Jesus, or by extension, anyone that preaches the gospel or shares the gospel. The seed is the word of God. The soil then represents the condition of our hearts, Okay, And so that's what this parable is all about. The primary application of this parable is the, the response, the receptivity to the gospel. There's going to be many people that receive the gospel with joy. There's going to be many people that respond to the gospel. There's going to be many people that reject the gospel. That's the primary application. But also this morning, we're going to see that we can often find ourselves and find our hearts represented in each one of these soils. Okay, And so we've got to understand primary application. This is talking about people responding to the gospel. But for those of us that have already responded, maybe already have accepted Christ, and we've responded to the gospel in that sense, we've got to take an inward look at our hearts and say, what is the current condition of my heart? Is everybody good with that? That's where we're going to be this morning. So a couple words that I want you to write down that I believe best represent each one of these soils. Number one, the first word that I see is inaccessible. Inaccessible. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 12. Those by the wayside are they that hear, 
Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so this first soil is the wayside soil. It's the hard soil. It's the concrete soil. It, it is impenetrable. It is inaccessible. The seed is sown and it's too hard and nothing can penetrate it. Uh, it. It is there just laying on the ground so the devil can come and devour it. This is someone that represents a hard heart. This is someone that has heard the gospel and they don't want anything to do with it. This is a rebellious heart. This is a, someone that rejects the gospel. This is, uh, I used to narrow this group down to just be simply the atheist and the agnostic, but you have to remember that, that Jesus is actually speaking this parable to some of the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. And they're the ones that believed in God. They were very religious, but they rejected Jesus. And every time they heard Jesus teach and every time they heard Jesus talk, it made them more mad and their hearts became more hardened, so much so that they wanted to kill Jesus and they eventually did. Their hearts were inaccessible. The seed was sown, but they could not receive it. Inaccessible. And there are two indicators of an inaccessible heart that I see uh, here in this passage. One is that they are undiscerning. They're undiscerning. They don't, they don't have the ability to understand the word of God. They're undiscerning. The Bible says this, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of God, the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto, unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So a lost person does not have the ability to understand the seed, understand the word of God, okay? In verse number 10, it says this, in verse 10b, notice verse 10 in our text, Luke chapter 8, and he said, unto you uh, it is given to know, everybody say no, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. So the natural man, the lost person, can't understand the word of God. They don't understand it. They hear, they hear messages and they see us serving and they see us excited about church and excited about Jesus and excited about the word of God. And it does not make sense to them because they do not have the ability to understand. They are undiscerning. But Jesus tells us something so profound and so powerful in verse number 10 that I believe can be a great encouragement to us that have received the gospel. Notice what he says. And he, said, uh, and he said, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. What a privilege. What a privilege to the disciples. Hey, I'm going to give you the ability to know the mysteries of God. I'm going to give you the ability to discern what the Bible says. I, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that not only did God give us his word, but he also gave us the ability to understand his word. And many people say, you know, I don't understand the word of God. Well, maybe that's because you're not actually spending time reading it. Because Jesus has given us the ability to understand the mysteries, understand those things that are complicated that sometimes we say, well, it doesn't make sense. Well, how about ask the Holy, asking the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can have your eyes open so that you can understand what the Word of God said. Jesus said, hey, I'll give you the knowledge. I'm going to give you the ability to know and to understand. And that is good news this morning. My son Luke is two years old. And he has his own language that he speaks in. And uh, much like uh, many toddlers and, and, and two-year-olds, they, they say things, in, and uh, most people that don't spend any time with Luke, they have no idea what he's saying. And, uh, but those of us, uh, Katie and I and some other people, we spend a lot of time around Luke, we kind of understand his little language. And he'll run into the room and he'll say, Dad, that's about a game. Dad, about a game. And uh, most people are like, what does that mean? And what he's saying is, Daddy, basketball game. But, but he'll come in, Dad, about a game. That, that's how he says it. And, you know, the more time that we spend with Luke and the more time that we're trying to listen to those weird things, it's like a constant daily version of Mad Gab all day long. We're trying to decipher what he's saying. But the more time that we spend around him, the more we understand what he's saying. 
the more time you spend in God's word, the more time the Holy Spirit will have to work and will have time to open your eyes so that you can understand what the word of God says. I love what the Bible says in Ephesians 1, verses 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Watch this. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's the process of illumination. It's the process when the light bulb comes on. Now I understand it. Now I get it. Not only did God give us his word that can guide us and that can direct us and that can help us, but he also gave us his spirit. Is anybody thankful today for the Holy Spirit of God that will guide us into truth? He will be our divine assistant. He will help us understand things that we could not understand in and of ourselves. And Jesus said, hey, you have to have ears to hear. Those that have ears to hear, let them hear because there's going to be some people that hear it that just don't understand. They say, I don't get it. What's this all about? I don't understand it. But those that are really listening, those that are really paying attention can discern, can, can understand what God is trying to communicate. And so the inaccessible heart, the, the, the hard heart, it's inaccessible. It's undiscerning. They don't understand it. But the inaccessible heart is also uninterested. The seed is sown. And nothing happens. They're not interested. Did you know that we're living in a culture that is increasingly becoming more and more disinterested in the Word of God? One in five Americans uh, say that they do not identify with any religious affiliation. The number is higher among people that are 30 and under in the United States. One-third identify with some sort of religious affiliation. And so there is becoming more and more of a disinterest to God and to his word. And the author, Ken Ham, uh, he talks about in his book, Already Gone, he says 61% of church-going children, that their parents are taking them to church, 61% after they graduate high school are no longer coming to church. Think about that. that that's 61% of church-going families. As soon as they graduate high school, they're gone. They're uninterested. Meanwhile, YouTube just reported that uh, we as human beings watch over a billion hours of YouTube content daily. What are we interested in? What are we really interested in? Are we, are we interested in the Word of God or are we interested in just whatever we want? See, we've got to be careful that we don't develop a cold and callous heart towards the things of God. Where, where our heart is becoming hard and we're not really letting the seed penetrate. We're not really letting the seed in. So they're uninterested. They're undiscerning. The Bible says this in Psalms 95, verses 6 through 8. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Don't let your heart become cold and calloused to the word of God. You might be sitting here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior because your heart's been inaccessible. You've heard the gospel message. You've heard about Jesus before, but you've never let it penetrate. You've never accepted him. Maybe you're here this morning. You have accepted Jesus, but your heart's become cold and calloused, and, and it's become hard towards the things of God. Maybe because of bitterness, maybe because of sin, maybe because of, because of selfish desires, but whatever the reason, your heart is cold and hard. And my prayer for you would be that of Hosea chapter 10, verse number 12. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. Break it up. Ask God to get the sledgehammer out and start breaking up that hard ground so that your heart can now receive the word of God, receive the seed. Say, hey, I don't want to just keep it inaccessible. I'm going to open it up so that God can have access and God can do a great work in my life. This inaccessible seed is undiscerning. It's uninterested. Number two, impulsive. The first heart is inaccessible. The second heart that Jesus talks about is impulsive. This is the heart that 
uh, operates by emotion and by feeling. Notice what it says in verse number 13. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Verse 13, they on the rock are they, which, speaking of the rocky soil, they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation they fall away. And so this heart, this impulsive heart, they received the word with joy. They, 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 they were happy about it. They, they heard the gospel. They heard the message and they received it with joy. But Jesus is speaking about someone that never really got saved in the first place. Maybe it was an emotional decision. Maybe it was a decision because somebody else kind of coerced you into it or something like that. They received it with joy. It started out good, but it doesn't last. This is that rocky soil. I was in Alaska several years ago, and we got to go to this river where the salmon were jumping. How many of you have ever seen the salmon jump out of water like that before? Uh, they, 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 they explode out of water, and it was an amazing sight to see all these salmon that were kind of swimming upstream, and they would just kind of launch out with energy, but they came right back down. It would be foolish to think that salmon was going to launch out and stay up there, right? No, it's going to come right back down. Many people in their faith are like that. They launch out with great energy and their excitement. There's some enthusiasm, but there's no depth to it. They're going to come right back down. That's the rocky soil. Impulsive, emotions, feeling. Hey, whatever feels good, that's what I'm going to do. If I feel like coming to church is going to be great, that's what I'll do. If I feel like missing church is going to be great, that's what I'll do. It's whatever feels right. But our feelings often lie to us. This kind of heart, this impulsive heart, first of all, is shallow. Verse number 13, verse number 14 says that there's no root. There's no root. There's a thin layer of soil, but then there's rocks. There's, there's just no root. It's, it's shallow. We were on vacation recently, and I took our kids to the uh, kiddie pool, and uh, there was a pool that was about, uh, I think, about one foot uh, deep, maybe two feet, and I was sitting in there with them, and uh, they were having a lot of fun, and, you know, it happened a couple times throughout the day that we'd be, I'd be sitting there in the kiddie pool with, with the kids, and they would uh, want to go back to their mom to get a snack or to get something, and so they would leave me, and I found myself just by myself <laughs> sitting in the children's kiddie pool, and people would walk by. And they would say, what is this grown man creepily doing sitting in the swimming pool? And it was disturbing to them. And it was embarrassing for me. And I'd always kind of try to casually find my way out. The sad reality is there are many Christians that have been saved for years that are still swimming in the kiddie pool spiritually. They're, they're shallow. They've been saved for many years, but they don't know what they believe. They're not serving. They're not giving. They're not sacrificing. They're not getting involved in a connection group. It's shallow. It's shallow faith. It surprises me, it amazes me. I don't understand why a parent would say to their children on Sunday morning, do you want to go to church today? Why say, why give them an option? <laughs> you are paying the bills, you're paying for their food. Say, hey, I'm going to set the spiritual atmosphere. We're going to church today. That's what we're doing. I don't know what everybody else is doing. I don't know what Johnny's parents are doing down the street. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to church today. Don't be surprised if you're giving the option for church attendance if they're completely disinterested in church after they graduate and a part of that 61%. Let's set the right example. That, that's a shallow faith. Let's set the right temperature, the right example, the right atmosphere. And so this impulsive heart, hey, whatever feels right, that's, that's shallow, but it's also a heart that's short-lived. It's short-lived. Notice what it says in verse number 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear Receive the word with joy, so there's some emotion involved. And these have no root, for which a while believe, and in time of temptation, they fall away. So it lasts a little bit, this kind of heart, that they're around for a little while. 
But as soon as a little bit of trouble comes, as soon as a little bit of temptation comes, as soon as a little bit of pain or, or, or a trial comes, they're gone. Short-lived. Notice what the Bible says in Psalms 106, verses 12 through 14. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They soon forgot. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. See, there's a difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus. A fan is active when things are good, but they're absent when things are tough. A fan is someone that says, hey, things are good, I'm active, I'm involved, but then as soon as it gets hard, they're nowhere to be found. You're never going to survive the pressure of persecution and the pressure of pain without first getting rooted deep into God's word and having that foundation that we talked about last week, or else it's just going to be a short-lived faith. You're going to be here for a little while, but as soon as something else comes along, you're gone. It's just impulsive. I'm praying today that God would give us a heart that says, you know what, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not just going to leave as soon as I have a little bit of pain. I'm not just going to leave as soon as there's a little bit of a trial that comes into my life or maybe a major trial. Hey, that's when we need to dig deep and that's when we need to get a a, a deep-rooted faith, not just a shallow, short-lived faith, but a real, long-lasting faith. I was reading, uh, I was actually listening to a story this week, and uh, they were talking about Walter Payton, who was the famous running back for the Chicago Bears, and uh, there was a Monday night football game where the announcers were kind of talking back and forth, and the one announcer said, isn't it amazing that Walter Payton has rushed over nine miles in his career rushing yards? Nine miles. They were like, wow, that's amazing. But the other announcer said, yeah, and it's even more amazing when you consider that on average he got knocked down every 4.6 yards. (laughs) So he got knocked down, but he kept on going. Knocked down, but he kept on going. Knocked down, but he kept on going. How often do we get knocked down once and we're down for the count? One trial comes into our life for one moment of pain, and it seems like it takes us so long to recover. It's a shallow faith. I'm not saying that you're never going to experience pain, never going to experience persecution, because we will. But if we have some good soil and we have that foundation that we talked about last week, we'll be able to endure those trials, and we'll be able to have a lasting faith. This faith is short-lived. The Bible says this in 1 John 2, verse 19, they went out from, uh, from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have no doubt have continued with us. Continued. Everybody say continued. continued. How many of you this morning would say, I want to continue my faith? If that's you, can I say, I want to keep on being faithful, keep on going, relentless, relentless. Impulsive heart. Number three this morning, infiltrated. So there is a heart that is inaccessible. It's not open. It's a hard heart. No access. There's a heart that's impulsive. It's a shallow, short-lived faith that's just kind of whatever whatever feels right, that's what I'm going to do. And then there's the heart that is infiltrated. Notice what it says in verse number 14. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they had heard, they go forth. Everybody say go forth. I want you to understand the potential with this third soil. It's good soil. The dirt is good. It has some depth. It has some progress even. It goes forth. But it's infiltrated with weeds and thorns. The word thorns in the Greek is the same word. Uh, it's akantha. It's the same word that uh, is used when speaking of the crown of thorns which was put on Jesus' head. And this good soil is infiltrated with the weeds and with the thorns that choke out the potential. 
I went to the Philippines several years ago, and I remember I was traveling with a friend, and we traveled way up into the mountains into this particular village, and it was a Saturday night, and I was going to be preaching the next morning, and we were very tired, exhausted after this long, long day of traveling, and we went into our little hut where we were going to be staying that night, and uh, the missionary that we were with, he said, you guys are going to be sleeping in here, and, and you're going to sleep there, and I looked over, and it was about a five-foot bamboo bench that was maybe three feet wide. And uh, that was going to be where I was going to be sleeping that night. And I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be difficult, no problem. But then I found out that the friend that I was traveling with was also going to be staying with me on that uh, small surface. And so I thought, this is going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. And that turned out to be the worst night of sleep of my life. And it wasn't the worst night of sleep of my life because of the small space. It wasn't the worst night of sleep because it was extremely hot or the smells that we endured. It was the worst night of sleep of my life because my friend opened up a bag of chips in the middle of the night and fell asleep with the chips in that little bed, which invited army, an army of ants to come in, as well as all kinds of bugs from the Philippines to come in, which completely infiltrated our bed and were crawling all over us when we woke up. And it was not good. <laughs> See, a healthy heart is not just about what you allow in, but also what you keep out. And so, the infiltrated heart represents an unprotected heart. And I want you to know this about an unprotected heart. An unprotected heart will easily yield to desire. An unprotected heart will easily yield to desire. And I believe that some of you this morning, you have some good soil. You want to do what God has for you. You have, you have some good intentions. But you're being choked out by some distractions. Maybe by some sin, by some temptation, by some other things that are infiltrating your heart and they're choking out your potential. That's why the Bible makes it clear in Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23. Keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. See, if you want to have some spiritual progress, you've got to be willing to pull the weeds. If you want to produce fruit, you've got to pull the weeds. And we've got to make sure that we're keeping some things out. And Jesus mentions three things. He mentions three things in the text. Uh, the first one that he mentions is this, cares. Notice verse number 14. When they have heard, they go forth and are choked with cares. Everybody say cares. In the Greek, it's the word meremna. It means worry and anxiety through distraction. How often do we get distracted because we're worried about tomorrow? How often do we get distracted? We got some good soil. We got some good intentions, but we can't think about that because we're so worried about what might happen. Katie, talk to us at Team Rally today. How many of you are worriers? Can I see your hand? You're a worrier. Uh, my wife, Katie, she's a natural worrier. She told me that she had a story when she was in sixth grade. She came home from elementary school, and she didn't see anybody in her house, and she immediately thought it was the rapture. <laughs> and so she, she picked up the telephone, and, and I love this part of the story. She calls her grandparents to make sure that they were still alive, and they answer the phone. She didn't call her parents or anybody else because who knows if they were saved. But she calls her parents. Just kidding. Just kidding. Her grandparents, yeah. She calls her grandparents to see uh, if they were still here. She's a, she's a natural worrier. But you know, worry is the opposite of faith. Worry is the enemy of faith. Notice what, um, I, I read this quote recently, Hannah Whittle-Smith, Whittle-Smith, she said this, uh, what, is, what is needed for happy, effectual service is simply to put your work into the Lord's hand and leave it there. Do not take it to him in prayer, saying, Lord, guide me. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, arrange for me. And then arise from your knees and take the burden all back and try to guide and arrange for yourself. Leave it with the Lord and remember that what you trust to him, you must not worry over nor feel anxious about. Trust and worry cannot go together. How convicting is that statement? How often do we pray and ask God to do something and then we just wake, we, we get up from our knees and we go try to do it ourselves? 
We, we let worry infiltrate. We let worry into our hearts and it chokes out potential. John MacArthur said this, for some reason we think of doubt and worry as small sins, but when a Christian displays unbelief or an inability to cope with life, he's saying to the world, my God cannot be trusted. And that kind of disrespect makes one guilty of a fundamental error, the heinous sin of dishonoring God. That is no small sin. Jesus said, you might have some good soil, some good attentions, but it's going to be choked out with cares, with worry. He, he, he lists a second option. Uh, he lists, secondly, riches. Uh, choked with cares and with riches. In the Greek, it's plutos. It's the abundance of external possessions. And a lot of times we can let uh, the desire for more and wanting more come in and choke out our potential. This is something that Paul had to learn in Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Everybody say, I have learned. I have learned. He says, I had to learn this in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's something that didn't come naturally for him. He had to learn it. I'm going to learn to not let the desire for more and possessions to distract me or to infiltrate my heart. See, it takes spiritual maturity to say, I'm not going to let uh, the de desire for stuff to distract, to distract me. My satisfaction, my satisfaction is not linked to my stuff. My satisfaction is not linked to my stuff. It's linked to my Savior. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse number 2 says, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not the power to eat thereof. Isn't that an amazing verse? You can have all the riches, all the wealth, all the honor that you can possibly imagine and not have the ability to enjoy it, to eat thereof. God says, you can have whatever, you can have all that. You can keep on accumulating, keep on having desire for more and more and just keep on gaining and gaining. Yet, God giveth him not the power to eat thereof. Colossians 3 makes it clear. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So the author of Colossians, Paul, he makes it pretty clear that when we are coveting, when we are covetous, that is idolatry. I read a story recently uh, about a man who was 46, year old, 46 years old. His name was Thomas Longenbach, and uh, he was stealing Legos in 2013. And he's 46 years old, and we got a picture of him. And he was going to Target, and he was making this little side business where he was purchasing Legos, and then he'd go and sell them on eBay. And, and uh, he was stealing the Legos from Target and then selling them on eBay, and he made over $30,000 doing it. But what to me is most amazing about old Thomas is the fact that if you read the story, he was already a wealthy individual. Because he stole all of these Legos, $30,000 worth of Legos, because he did this, he had to go to prison and he lost his $2 million home. I read that story and I'm thinking, was it worth it? <laughs> like, what were you thinking? A lot of times, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to let the desire for more infiltrate our heart and it's going to choke out our potential. If we're not careful, we're going to say, I just need to have that next thing. I just need one more thing. But hey, stop looking for satisfaction in your bank account. Stop looking for satisfaction in your 401k, in your bank account, and how much money you can accumulate, how many possessions you can have. Stop searching for your satisfaction in some sort of position, in some sort of place, and start finding your satisfaction in the one who can only provide you real satisfaction. His name is Jesus Christ. Is anybody thankful today that Christ is enough? He will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Can I say that his bank account is never empty? He has his riches that he can supply all of our need. He's enough. 
He's enough. And if we start just developing that relationship, we're going to be content with the things that we have. It's a learned process, but it's, a, it's worth it. It's learned. The third group that he mentions, Jesus, that would choke out our potential is pleasures. Pleasures. The word pleasures gives the idea of lust and desire. And he's talking about uh, uh, unguarded against temptation and against lust. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, verse number 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You have to understand when it comes to temptation, it's easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all that follow. It's much easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all that follow. It's easier to stay out than it is to get out. And a lot of times we got some good soil, we got some good intentions, but a little bit of lust and desire will infiltrate our heart and choke out the potential, choke out the, pro the, uh, the progress. And there's many people that I've seen that have been on the right path, they've been doing great, but they just allowed a little bit of that pleasure, a little bit of that unhealthy desire and temptation to infiltrate and take over. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common uh, to man. But God is faithful. And aren't you thankful for that? Like, that God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Don't forsake your calling in order to fulfill your craving. Don't forsake all that God has for you and the calling that he's put on your life so you can fulfill a temporary craving. Psalms 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If you let the seed penetrate and if you let the seed come into your heart and take over, uh, that will guard you and keep your heart guarded from the pleasures that want to infiltrate. If you want to produce fruit, you've got to pull the weeds. Number four, and we're done. Number four, invested. There is a heart that is inaccessible, allows no access. There is a heart that is impulsive, that, hey, just whatever feels right. It's a shallow, short-lived faith. There is a heart that is infiltrated. It's a heart that has some good soil, some good potential, but it allows the wrong things in and therefore chokes out the progress. But then there is that invested heart. I love what the Bible says in verse number 15. But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest, everybody say honest. I love the Greek word for honest. It's kalon. It means to, 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 to be beautiful to look at. A beautiful heart. A good heart having heard the word, keep it, bring forth fruit with patience. And so this last heart, the heart that obviously we want to desire to be, is the heart that is invested. It takes the seed and it stays a while. It's patient. It waits for the harvest. It waits to bring forth fruit. We need to have the kind of heart that says, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to be invested in what God has for me. I'm going to be invested in my kids. I'm going to be invested in my family. I'm going to be invested in my church. I'm going to be invested into the word of God. I'm not going to be uh, someone that's just a kind of a temporary, short-lived type of faith. I want to be invested. If we want to be invested, two things that we learn from the good soil. Uh, one, it's perceptive. Notice what it says in verse 15. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard, everybody say heard, having heard the word and keep it, and so they're perceptive. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you listening? That's what Jesus asked, is it not? In verse number eight, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Are you really listening? Are you being perceptive? Are you allowing the word of God to really enter into your heart? We've got to be perceptive. But if we're perceptive, 
faithfully will also be productive. Notice what it says. And they which have heard go forth and are choked with, excuse me, verse 15. Then that on the good ground are they which when an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit. The distinguishing characteristic from the good soil from all the other soils is the fact that it produces a harvest. It brings forth fruit. There's a byproduct. This morning, is there evidence, is there fruit in your life that God is working? This fruit brings a harvest. The Bible says in Psalms 1, verses 1 through 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted. Everybody say planted. He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Colossians 1.10 says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God has called us to be fruitful, and the harvest depends upon the heart. I love what the Bible says in Psalms 51, verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so this morning as we close, I want to ask you, how is your heart? Find yourself in one of these categories. Is it inaccessible? Is it impulsive? Is it infiltrated or is it invested? I read recently that for a heart transplant, a new heart uh, with all the medications and the, and, and the drugs that you would need afterwards, the cost is about $165,000 for a heart transplant. Can I tell you some good news this morning? God says, I can give you a new heart and it costs you absolutely nothing. <laughs> It's absolutely free. It's a heart that'll never fail you because it's a new heart. It's, it's, it's only born by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. This morning, if you have had a heart that's inaccessible or maybe your heart has been impulsive where you, you made some sort of emotional profession but you've never made it authentic and genuine, I would encourage you today to ask God to put and renew a clean and new heart within you. You can accept the free gift of salvation and develop a new walk with Christ. And you can say, you know what? From here on out, I'm pursuing and I'm following Jesus. And I'm not going to let these things distract me. I'm not going to let the cares of this world and the riches and the pleasures of this world distract me. But I'm going to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. I'm invested until the end. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? I love what the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse number 26. It says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Only God can give you that new heart. How's your heart?